0: That's Men's night is always the second Monday of the month, so thank you, uh, John. So we're in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. I brought a couple boxes uh, to help me with my uh, sermon this morning. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but I have a tendency to put a lot of things in boxes, you know, so to speak, in my mind to help me you know, manage my life, uh, deal with stress, A little bit and you know when we become Christians or at least when we start attending church sometimes we have two boxes we have uh, a secular box you know that sometimes kind of uh, relates to maybe the workplace or you know friends you know uh, out in the community Uh, secular can be uh, things you watch on TV sometimes uh, maybe you're into sports and you're into the Super Bowl or maybe you're into gaming and you're online a lot and you've got these things in your life that you, you would probably define at this stage in your life as kind of secular. And, and then you have uh, sacred. You know, All of a sudden you're processing church and you know, they're singing all these songs, you don't really understand them, you don't know what we're trying to sing about yet, it's new to you, but you really like it and that's awesome. You've got church, and you've got um, you know new Christian friends. All these people are so friendly. You know, people hug me when I walk into church. What's that all about? And uh, and then there's this thing called prayer that's not totally familiar to you, but it's it it's something that you're interested in. You feel love when you come to church. You feel God's presence. So you're kind of processing all this stuff, and you've got you kind of got your secular box, and then you've kind of got. You know, your, your sacred box, it's kind of like uh, all of a sudden you've, you've kind of got uh, secular on Monday. Uh, after sacred on Sunday, you, you go out to the workplace and you connect with people. The flavor's a little different. The things they talk about, a little different. The language they use sometimes, a little different. Not being critical, it's just, it, it just feels different. Now, uh, having a sacred box, sacred box, by the way, is awesome. It, it's a great start. Uh, but, you know, there is the real world where you deal with the secular in your life. What's interesting is, is as you're starting out uh, as a person who's pursuing faith and thinking about God and, you know, kind of processing this whole new uh, decision of uh, spiritual life, it, 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 these two boxes, don't, they don't mix very well. They, in fact, they seldom mix. It's it's kind of like when the pastor brings up something like, you know, the pastor's going to host a Super Bowl party, It kind of freaks you out. I mean, how do I do that? Because my Super Bowl party was, you know, a little rowdy, a lot of guys, and sometimes there's some alcohol, or maybe there's some chips, or you know, maybe a little language when someone missed a pass, or whatever, I don't know uh, what your Super parties, uh, Bowl parties might be like, but it just, it, how do you mix the two? How do, how do we mix the secular and, and the sacred? Well, uh, this morning, we're going to continue along uh, in our series in the book of Ephesians. And uh, I think one of the things that the Apostle Paul is trying to do in Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6, I think he's trying to mix these two boxes together into one box a sacred box. You see what he's saying is now that you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, now that you've been born again, now that you have a a new identity in Christ and a whole new family like we talked about during communion. The Bible says we're actually seated in heavenly places. I don't know what that's all about, but and it talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not we're we're not just secular people anymore doing secular things and then sacred things, but, but we can actually be filled with the Holy Spirit and, and led by the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, Paul is talking about uh, everything in your life becoming sacred and everything in your life becoming part of your worship of God. Some of you remember in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, uh, Paul says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, Living a life of love, that's sacred in every aspect of your life. Verse 15, he says, be careful how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of the opportunity because the days are evil. How many know that's kind of true in the day we're living today and, you know, making wise decisions about secular and, and, and about sacred in my life. What is my life all about? What does it mean? What kind of priorities? What kind of media? What kind of gaming? What kind of sports? We're just, we're processing all of that. The Apostle Paul says, don't, don't be drunk on wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. That sounds like church to me. Monday through Friday, and even Saturday. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks to the Lord in all things. All of a sudden now, my sacred is starting to influence all of my secular life, if you want to use that kind of language. And in verse 21, he says, respecting one another out of reverence for Christ. Now he's starting to talk about our relationships in the workplace. And relationships with people in the community, even that guy that, you know, his language isn't that good. And, and yet, there's a new element of sacred where we're starting to realize my relationship with him is about my relationship with God, that my conversation with him is part of my worship. It, it, it's a, an expression of my, my new sacred Life and uh, how do I do that? How do I work that out? This is a little bit of a process uh, for me in my life. Uh, In in verse 22 of chapter five, he starts talking about the home, and he talks about our marriages, how they're sacred. He says, uh, uh, "Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church." I don't know about you, but that sounds sacred to me. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And by the way, uh, wives, respect your husbands as the Lord. Now we're starting to make our marriage sacred. The way we treat each other as husband and wife is a reflection of our love for God and our worship of God. I'm not just loving my wife by listening, by being patient or kind or by serving or, you know, back rub when she's tired. But I'm worshiping the Lord when I'm doing all that. I'm not just being patient with my husband when he's frustrating and doesn't seem to have a clue. Uh, When when I'm honoring my husband by faith, I'm honoring the Lord. So, So now, do you see it's, It's really the Lord I'm serving, not my wife. It's really my husband. No, it's the Lord that I'm serving when I honor and respect. We're we're, we're learning a whole new filter in our life. We're starting to discipline how we think, and we're starting to react in a different way. Instead of reacting in the midst of a conflict to one another, first, we submit to the Lord and actually think, Lord, how would you have me handle this? Because now my marriage relationship is part of my worship to God. It's, it's, it's sacred. And everything I say is sacred. It's not secular anymore. It's not just, you know, the old lady it's just not being tied down. It, it, it's an opportunity to to uh, worship and glorify God in my life. It's not easy. It takes discipline. It takes faith. It takes training in your heart. Do you know the Holy Spirit will help you with that. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, by the way, we're talking about this morning being armed and filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will help you with all these things. He'll help transform your life from boxes, from, from the secular, secular box and the sacred box. He'll help transform your life th- th- through his leading. Because the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control and so he starts training your heart you begin to see how you actually can love your wife as Christ loved the church and you actually can honor your husband as the Lord because you're choosing to worship the Lord as you make that decision of sacrifice or as you make that decision of honor can i just tell you this morning it is such a blessing when you learn what i'm talking about today that i'm not serving my wife i'm serving the lord i'm not serving my husband i'm serving the lord it brings so much joy it brings so much freedom it brings so much happiness into your marriage relationship now the apostle paul we finished uh, ephesians 5 last week he goes from there and he talks about children then he talks about parents And he's going to talk about the workplace. So we're going to read all those verses here this morning. Uh, Verse 1 through 9 of Ephesians chapter 6. It says, children, okay, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Does that sound sacred? In the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is an act of faith. This is an act of worship. And obedience to God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Slaves, employees, sometimes we feel like slaves, but anyway... Uh, slaves uh, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey christ obey them not only to win their favor uh, when their eye is on you but as slaves of christ doing the will of god from your heart serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, verse 9, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both uh, their master and yours uh, is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. You know, in this section, in uh, Ephesians 6, Paul is getting down to the nitty-gritty here in our lives, and I, I love it. Here's what I think is interesting. First of all, in verse 1, Paul addresses children directly. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm talking with kids, I love to get down at their level so that I, I don't feel like I'm trying to overpower them, uh, but, but I'm down at their level where I can and look in their eye. And I kind of feel like the Apostle Paul is doing that. In this verse, he's saying, children, obey your parents, for for this is right. Now, let's talk about that a little bit. Because parents, uh, we all do a lot for our kids, don't we? I mean, we, we try to make their life a little easier. We try to make it comfortable. We try to provide and protect. We try to keep them safe. We want them to have fun. We want them to have things we didn't have. You know, that scenario. But do you see here? Children have a direct responsibility to God to be obedient. Let me say that again, because this is not culturally accepted. Okay, children have a direct responsibility to God to honor him through obedience to their parents, okay? Obedience is, becomes then an act of worship to the Lord, to, to honor the Lord. It is an expression of their faith in God. Now, again, this is not a part of our culture, but the authority of parents is a God-ordained structure. We see it throughout the scripture. God gave children parents (laughs) to protect, to provide, to teach, and and to train. And, And when a child obeys their parents, they're really submitting to God. And their obedience is an act of worship. Let me read it again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, Let's be honest. Children don't understand this when they're young. They have to be taught uh, by their parents, okay? Obedience doesn't come natural. Could anyone say amen? Disobedience comes natural. And, and it's really important for you as parents to kind of kind of get that through uh, your, your thinking filter. I watch parents get frustrated with disobedience. And, and I just want to put my arm around him and say, honey, or sir, uh, you know, obedience is not natural. Disobedience is natural because we're we're sinful. We're part of a fallen world. Rebellion is at the core of who we are. How many wants to rebel against the mask mandate or the vaccine? Well, everybody does because it's our nature. It's getting quiet. Sorry about that, but... You know, I mean, we're kind of going through a time where we we see a lot of frustration in our culture, Uh, but but this is just uh, so important to understand. Obedience does not come naturally. Disobedience comes naturally, and that's why training, and do you notice in verse 4, that's why relationship with parents is so important in the training. Verse 4 says, fathers, don't exasperate your children, instead bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, in Paul's day, fathers and husbands had kind of an authoritarian role, okay? They were ruled by Caesar. And honestly, what he said went, okay? There was no choice about the matter. And fathers and husbands kind of took on An authoritarian call it macho whatever you want chauvinistic kind of a domineering attitude in the home that's why uh, in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 when Paul says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her it blew their minds the idea of that kind of cherishing That kind of sacrifice and love was not a part of their culture. Maybe in some places or some pockets, but it was literally revolutionary and revelational. I mean, it wasn't anything a man had ever considered or thought in his life. You know, when uh, in, in, in the previous verses, I believe it's verse 23, when the Apostle Paul says, wives respect your husbands as the Lord for the husband is head of the wife as, hu- as Christ is the head of the church it's savior you know that word head has nothing to do with authority it's not domineering it's not chauvinistic it's not dictatorial you know Paul could have used any of those words from the Greek language because they come up in other places throughout scripture amen that's an amen back right there you know that word, head, is literally source in the Greek language? How many know that men are a source of life? It's the seed of a man who causes, that causes life. And, of course, it's the womb of a woman that helps that life to grow and gives birth to that. But, but the word literally means source. So, so Paul confronted something in the culture that was part of the culture. Wives submit to your husbands uh, as the Lord, for husbands are their head, but he defined his authority differently. Husbands are a source to the marriage. How many know that a husband makes a big difference in a marriage? His love in a marriage relationship, his spiritual leadership in a marriage relationship. He's a source, he's a source of life. And the same is true in parenting, fathers, the source, the head, don't exasperate your children, but raise them up and the instruction and the admonition of the Lord, his relationship with the kids, so important, so important because a father makes a huge difference as a life source when he's involved when he listens when he understands when children feel his love and partnership in their life it's an amazing impact it's interesting if you read this section of scripture that talks about moving our lives from a sacred mentality sorry secular mentality sorry about that to a sacred mentality it's amazing to me when I read it how much of it is about mutual respect for one another a marriage is really built on mutual respect I mean there are times where decisions have to be made but 99.99999% of the time marriage is built on mutual respect And can I suggest a family is built that way as well? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Fathers, don't exasperate your children, but bring them up. I love that picture. Some translations, raise them up in the nurture, in the instruction, and the training of the Lord. Now, when kids are little, obviously, you're just trying to control them. And you're just saying, no, <laughs> and why? Because I said so, okay? That works till they're about three. And, uh, and then all of a sudden there has to start, we have to start focusing on relationship because children are gonna wanna know why and they're gonna wanna be taught and, and they're gonna wanna be instructed. And by the way, as I'm saying all this, I'm, I, I'm thinking, it's easy to talk about parenting from a pulpit <laughs> And make it sound really easy so forgive me if I'm doing that I'm not trying to do that okay parenting is super super hard and some kids are really adamant about being rebellious does anyone know what I'm talking about there and, and, and trying to teach them to obey you're thinking pastor do you live in the real world man do you, do you know my kids okay so I did have kids and I, 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 I do understand They need to know why you want them to obey. They really do need instruction. You know, one of the the words I think is interesting. Uh, By the way, God is always working with you to obey. You have lots of habits in your life that really do fit in a more secular box. And God has been working on you to obey and to lay aside some things. We are a stiff-necked, rebellious people. We we, we really are, it's it's our nature. One of the struggles we're having in America today is we've turned our hearts so far from God. And and, and God is trying to call us back. And by the way, he's starting with the church. But we've gotta deal with our secular habits and our secular idols and the things that we've just settled into a sense of compromise in our life, allowing us to really live at a much lower level than what's really sacred and what God has called us to be in the body of Christ. Could someone say amen to that? It's just, just so, so, so important. A word I love is the word Confession. The Bible says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, the word confession does not mean, God, I'm sorry, I did it again. Now, that'll work. That's okay. Okay, so I'm not trying to be too hard or harsh. But You know, the the word confession literally means to agree with God. And when we agree with God, what that means is we pursue God with all our heart to understand how he made us and why he wants us to do it differently. There's a passion in our heart and our mind. There's a willingness to obey scripture and work on the discipline side of that so that we can literally begin to agree with God in our soul. Because obedience comes from your soul. And you start laying aside things in your life because you've trained your soul to love God with all your heart, to love his ways, to love his thoughts. And fathers, to truly train your children and raise them up, you have to help train their soul. But you have to know their soul and understand their soul. You have to be involved in them relationally, and then you have to model how you're training your soul. You have to teach them how to love through the example of your marriage. You have to teach them how to repent when you repent to them and ask them for forgiveness that I got angry with you and I I really overreacted or whatever it is in your life. These These are things we have to model We bring them up in the nurture and the instruction of the Lord. Now, unfortunately, some of us were simply raised by parents that didn't communicate. They just disciplined, gave rules, and we rebelled when we were about 13. Anyone know who I'm talking about? Okay, we didn't really care what they thought anymore. Okay, we live in a society of people who don't care anymore about what anyone else thinks. And and I wanna encourage you, I don't want that for your family. I want your kids to love their dad, and I want your kids to love their mom because they see in their dad, not a perfect man, but a man who loves them, understands them, has integrity, is willing to confess his sin, mend his fences, love their wife, communicate. There's just a lot in these verses Uh, That Paul is talking about our everyday life and our everyday relationships. Here's the good news about obedience. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2 through 3 says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first command with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life here on earth. I'm not quite sure what that means completely in the New Testament. I do know what it meant in the Old Testament. That is a promise taken out of the Ten Commandments. And in the Old Testament, I think everybody knows, or hopefully I could help you see, that the promises of God were literally a physical promise. They had a physical kingdom. God said to them, if you will obey me and I'll keep the Sabbath, the Sabbath day only, which was a whole 24 hours of worship to God to honor if you obey me keep the Sabbath I'll bring the rain when you need rain for your crops I'll bring the rain and you'll have the crops and you'll prosper so it was a it was a physical I was thinking about that driving in this morning I thought wouldn't it be great if rather than you know being frustrated with the government about water shortage wouldn't it be great if all the people repented, cried out to God, said, God, we ask forgiveness for our sins. We're sorry that our hearts are so far from you. And and, and we just ask you in your mercy to bring rain. Lord, we need it in our life. You know, I just I just think sometimes we think of what's happening in a physical realm and doesn't we don't understand it's a reflection of hearts and what's happening in the spiritual realm and God promised in the physical realm a promise of long life to people who would honor and obey and respect their parents how many think respect is important okay re- respect for parents affects your whole life honor and respect in the household is the training ground for honor and respect in every area of your life. Now, I don't know that Paul using this Old Testament promise means you're going to live to you're 100 years old. But there's something about respect that will cause you to be blessed in the workplace. You'll get promoted because there's something about you that people who work with you like. And by the way, every company wants healthy leadership and healthy leadership to know how to follow first and if you know how to follow and respect authority they're going to try to put you in a place of authority so you can teach other people how to do that you're going to get promoted you're going to get the raise and it will go well with you i've seen it happen i've seen it happen in my my own kids life i've seen it happen in many of your kids life and your grandkids life just how there's this cycle of blessing that happens as a result of just the simple command Uh, to honor the Lord by obeying your parents. So anyway, food for thought. Uh, The last thing that Paul talks about in this section as he gets into this nitty-gritty is is about your work, how the workplace is is sacred to the Lord. Let me read verse 5 through 9. Slaves, obey uh, your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, not just as you would obey Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. I said that very poorly. Uh, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey the Lord. Obey them uh, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as, as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know uh, that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, there's no favoritism with him. I I love the thought that God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care about your title. He, He doesn't care if you own a business doesn't really care whether you're a CEO of a great company. You know what the Bible says in Psalms 40? All, all men, referring to men and women, all, all men and women uh, die like animals. Think about that the next time you drive by a deer on the side of the road. That's the end of your life. It's not going to care what you do. No one cares what you did. No one's going to remember what you did. It goes on to say, you know, people who are wealthy, they name their, their estates after them. They're looking for some kind of honor or wealth. And it's like, God, God is saying, so you're going to die like an animal. I, I just think that's interesting. Your, your title, your position, your income, your 401k, frankly, doesn't matter to God. What matters is your heart. And, and the Apostle Paul, when you, when you read his letters, he didn't care whether you were a slave or whether you were free, whether you're a master or whether you're a business owner. He didn't care. He says, I don't care if you're a slave. If you're a slave, you're Christ's free man. How many know we're free in Christ? And, and if you're, by the way, if you're a master, you're really Christ's bond slave. You're a slave of Jesus Christ. So he puts us on the same level. He didn't care who we were. He, he cared about our hearts. And I... I, I see that in, in these verses. He cares about our work being an expression of our love for God and our worship of God and doing it uh, unto the Lord. Now, Paul addresses slaves and masters here, uh, which was a, part of, a common part of the culture, but you know, sometimes people ask, well, why didn't Paul address the evils of slavery in his letter? <laughs> well, in Paul's day... Slavery was not as diabolical as it has been in our past history. Slavery was not about race or ethnicity like it was here in the United States or it has been in other countries in the world, okay? Slavery was about debt. Uh, They didn't have credit cards back then. You couldn't mortgage your house for 30 years, okay? (laughs) Or refinance so that you could pay your debts. If you couldn't make a payment or couldn't pay a debt, you became a slave. You were sold to the person you owed money, and you had to work until it was paid off. And there was a fair exchange uh, there, but slavery was common. Uh, so, in that culture, the Apostle Paul addresses slaves. Of course, we don't have to, because that's not the situation most of us in, are in, but, but we are employees and we are employers. And you know some people think work is part of the curse, kind of like I owe, I oh, so off to work I go. And uh, you know that God gave Adam a job before sin entered the world. The Bible says in six days, God created the heavens and the earth. and on the seventh day he rested. God created you in his image, and he gave Adam responsibility then to rule over all he created to manage it to be creative with it and to use it for God's glory and his honor you were created to work why don't you tell your neighbor you were created to work yeah that probably won't be the favorite part of the sermon uh But work is important. It's how we glorify God. It's how we use our gifts, talents, and abilities that he's given us. Work is important to build self-esteem. You show me a person without a job, and I'll show you a person who's struggling with self-respect and, and, and self-esteem. You know, a job well done is very satisfying. How many of you have ever gone home after accomplished something at work and felt really good about it? It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Work is God's idea. Work is how we provide for our needs. Work gives us an opportunity to be generous to others, uh, to worship the Lord with our giving. Uh, It develops character, and of course, it tests our integrity. Uh, Work is part of our ministry and our mission to the world. It's a chance for us to be an example of our faith, spirit-filled people who aren't Christians with a secular box. but Christians whose lives are sacred. And everything in the box is sacred unto the Lord. We're serving out of worship and love for Jesus in our life. Now, it's not easy. I'll be the first one to say it's not easy. There are times where you're going to feel exhausted. But let me read this last verse. Isaiah 40, verse 28 through 31. The Lord And not faint. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on out. And uh... one of the signs that you're filled with the Holy Spirit—that's what we're talking about this morning—and all these practical things that I just talked through as acts of obedience and worship to God are signs that you're being filled with the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a question: Are you being filled with the Holy Spirit? This morning, so that it's touching uh, every aspect of your life. Are you beginning to understand? Maybe you've been coming to church for a while, and you know it's different. It's new. You you, you feel the sacred, but you don't understand it completely yet. But now you're beginning to understand that all my life is sacred, God. I want to give all my life to you. I want to live it for your kingdom, for your glory, and your honor. And if that's your desire, why don't you stand with me this morning? Just offer up your heart to God right now and say, God, I want to get some things out of my secular box and start putting them in the sacred box. I I want to offer all my life to you, Lord. I want to thank you that you see our hearts this morning, Lord, that you've called us to a a place of living in worship living in love living in relationship with you lord thank you for calling us to that place lord i can't do it without your help i ask you to fill me with the holy spirit continue to teach me lord transform me help me with that governor in my soul that submits to you as lord before i react in a circumstance at work that submits to you as Lord before I respond in a conflict with my children or in a marriage relationship. Jesus, I want my life to be an expression of worship and love for you. We thank you for hearing our prayers this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.